We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. I was going to give like a Father's Day message thing, but I have some things to share with the dads later on at the end of the message, but... um. If I could pray for you guys, that'd be great. So, um, can all the dads stand up? Cool. You guys outnumber the first service. You know, I was gonna uh, like give you guys like all these statistics as far as uh, you know being involved in your home and in your uh, your kid's life. You guys all know that, right? Just the fact of you being at home. It betters the odds of them having like a good life, especially in the Lord. I always think people always tell me I've always heard that um, if you guys have daughters, I have a daughter that she will one day uh, more than likely marry someone like me. Same with sons too. You know, uh, if you have a son, he'll probably end up kind of like you. But let's pray and ask the Lord to uh, help us. All right, Lord, we come before you, Lord. Just thank you so much for. uh, this time, Lord, praying Lord, for all the dads here, Lord, um, myself included, Lord. We pray, Lord, and just thank you, first of all, Lord, for this opportunity, Lord, the, 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 the blessing it is to be a father, Lord. Help us this day, Lord, to, to encourage, Lord, to, to mold, Lord, to shape your, your kids, Lord, and to follow the love of your son, Jesus Christ. We ask that you give us strength, endurance, Lord, as only you can, Lord. And just the joy it is, Lord, to, to raise uh, your children, Lord. Uh, help us, Lord, to rejoice, even in his challenges, Lord. Help us to know that you are with us, Lord, and that you will honor, Lord, our, our decisions, Lord, even if they're hard sometimes, Lord. To correct, Lord, to instruct uh, your kids, Lord. Again, Lord, we thank you for being our Father in heaven. Lord. For those of us who, who, who are dads or aren't in a picture anymore, Lord, or or we don't know them, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for being our Father in heaven. Lord. Perfect. Let me just lift up this time to you, Lord. Pray you bless it, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. All right. We're going to be in um, Acts chapter 17. If you guys can put your Bibles there. If you don't have a Bible, please raise your hand and someone will bring one to you. Acts 17. All right. Acts 17. This uh, section of scripture we're going to cover is is during Paul's second missionary journey. Those of you who aren't familiar with Paul, uh, he was a man previously um, who persecuted Christians and now is being persecuted as one. Uh, This uh, mighty man of God that Paul is um, shows us how really sensitive he was to his calling as a son of God and, and with sharing the gospel with everyone, everywhere he went, as an example to us. So let's get started, huh? Uh, we'll read verses 1 through 4. Everyone there? Acts 17, 1 through 4. It says, Now when they had passed through Amphip- Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, 
explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. In the previous chapter, chapter 16, uh, we see Paul and Silas were, were, beat, were uh, beaten for healing a girl that was possessed and, and thrown into jail. Uh, the Lord broke them out of jail, um, and the Philippian jailer was saved, he and everyone in his home. You guys are familiar with Acts 16.31? It says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, right? You and your whole household. Paul and Silas uh, keep going on, their, on, their, uh, on to serve the Lord in their missionary journey. And they leave Philippi and they, uh, they depart for Thessalonica. Like it says in verse 1, they pass through a couple of uh, cities named Amphipolis and Apollonia to get to um, Thessalonica. These cities were like 30, 30 miles apart from one another. Uh, so Paul and Silas had their uh, walking shoes on. 30 miles, like from here to Rancho, right, more or less. So there, back, and there again. Uh, so Paul and Silas uh, had a long journey. So um, not sure how long it took them, but they got there. Thessalonica was a strategically placed city where a lot of trading and commerce took place. Uh, so we know that through the leading of the Holy Spirit, the city was specifically picked to further the gospel. If you read First Thessalonians, you will see that the people here that were saved were used to reach others and were example to other believers in their conduct. So we cool how the Lord uh, does things and leads people. Uh, we just have to be sensitive to him and be open to going that extra 30 miles, right, so to speak, to give out his word, and, and he will do the rest. But as Paul gets there, he heads toward the synagogue of the Jews in a, a place where if anyone would give him any static, right, it would be there. But it didn't matter to Paul because the Lord was with him. It says in, for three Sabbaths that he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, is Jesus whom I preach to you. Uh, the word reasoned in verse 2, you guys see that there? Reasoned means to mingle thought for thought, to ponder, to converse. It's so cool how, how Paul wants to converse with them, to talk with them. Uh, to hear them too, right? Because some people like to talk, but they don't hear. He was hearing them. Yeah, but they were having a thought-for-thought conversation. To be able to go for three Sabbaths uh, talking with them shows us that Paul used his time wisely and was wise in what he shared with them too. Uh, he did. Uh, how did he reason with them? Uh, did he give them his opinions? Uh, did he give them his thoughts? Uh, no, he didn't. It says for... Uh, that through the scriptures, he reasoned with them. It says that through the scriptures, he explained, and through the scriptures, he, sh- he showed them uh, and demonstrated also that Jesus was a Christ, that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead. Uh, Jesus is the Christ. For three Sabbaths, he did this. Paul didn't let, him, let uh, himself get in the way, and he let the scriptures speak for himself to the Jews in the synagogue. The words explaining and demonstrating in verse 3, in verse 3, how it says explaining and demonstrating. It's different in the King James Version. In the King James, it says opening, opening and alleging. Other translations say to explain and prove. Um, I like the word opening because in other parts of the Bible, uh, the same word is used in a way that it expresses people's eyes that were open to Jesus, but they weren't blind. 
in Acts uh, 16.14. You guys just write this down, Acts 16.14. Speaking of Lydia, it says, The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And also in Acts 24.31, or sorry, Luke 24.31, speaking of the disciples, it says, When their eyes were opened and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. So Paul probably shared uh, with them many scriptures in the Old Testament of the Messiah, uh, which were fulfilled by Jesus. Many, many prophecies, uh, uh, how he was heir of the, uh, of the throne of David, uh, born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem, rejected by his own people, spat on and struck, uh, resurrected. You know, it goes on and on, right? All the prophecies he fulfilled. But uh, uh, Paul, as we should, wanted them not just to just uh, know it, but really uh, be opened by it. There's a difference, right? To be open just to know it. Uh, their hearts to be open, their souls to be consumed by it, and to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And as we read, it worked, right? Some of them were, were persuaded. A great multitude of devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. They left their religion. They left their religion and joined Paul and Silas' ministry of serving and proclaiming the name of Jesus. All right, let's read 5 through 9. Verses 5 through 9. It says, But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace, and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying, There is another king, Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. So after these Greeks, uh, Gentiles began to follow Jesus, of course, the Jews became what? Jealous, right? Um, because of some of the people the synagogue were, were taken away. They were like, man, we can't let this happen. You know, what if more and more people start believing in this? Then what? So they got some of these uh, evil men from the bars out in the marketplace. The marketplace, right? And uh, started gathering a mob. You guys got that joke, all right? Some of you guys laugh. <laughs> started gathering a mob of crazy people. And in doing this, set their town in an uproar. Uh, we've seen this done before, right? With Jesus being envious of his ministry, the Pharisees and the Sadducees did the same thing. Did the same thing. They gathered a mob, persuaded Pilate, and to, to beat and crucify Jesus because of the same thing, right? Just jealousy. Uh, they go to where Paul and the others were known to be at and attack the house of Jason, but they were not able to fall, find Paul and Silas. They had to get someone though. So they get Jason instead and some of the people in his home and they um, gather before, gather him up and take him before the leaders of the city and accuse him of harboring the men who have turned the world upside down. They do not acknowledge Caesar as king, but another king, Jesus, they were saying. That's funny how, they, how it says they turn the world upside down, right? Almost, almost like every commentator, I, almost every commentary I read, uh, they all mentioned this. Do you think they really turned the world upside down or right side up? Right side up, right? All the, all the, the commentaries commentary said that and how they turned the, were trying to turn the world right side up. Kind of like today, right? 
It's upside down. We're all upside down. They just didn't see it. They were blind to their old ways. Certainly, um, what we've been doing, these people are thinking, what we've been doing, our religion is, is fine. What's wrong with it? We can't change. They're wrong about this Jesus being the Messiah. And so they, they do their thing and they stir up and encourage, uh, stir up a crowd and encourage them uh, in their jealousy of the Lord's work. But nothing happens to Jason, right? They don't, they don't beat him or anything like that. kind of surprises me. They just made him pay almost like a fine for harboring these, uh, these people. Like it says in in, uh, in verse, I think it's verse 9, yeah. They took security from Jason and the others, and they let them go. And as Jason did, sometimes we will have to pay for our faith too, right? We'll have to pay be, uh, for being a follower of Jesus, uh, but that's okay. Uh, every situation our faith puts us in, who is with us? Jesus, right? Uh, the author and finisher of our faith, uh, Hebrews 12, 2. Uh, don't get discouraged, uh, but be encouraged that the Lord is watching and will honor your decisions and actions that please him. Let's read verses 10 through 15. Everyone with me? All right, 10 through 15. It says, Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Uh, these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. But when the Jews of Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, they came there also and stirred up the crowds. Then immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea. But both Silas and Timothy remained there. So those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens, and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come with him with all speed, they departed. Before the Jews could catch Paul and his crew, the, the brethren sent Paul away to Berea. Paul and Silas. I'm not sure when it's okay to do this, because some people say, you know, why, why did Paul go by night? Why did he sneak away? Didn't he think God was going to protect him while he was there? He's heard those questions before, right? But I think it's just Paul being sensitive to the Holy Spirit, as we should too. Surely if he thought it would be better to stay there, he probably would have stayed, right? God just broke him out of jail not too long ago. But just something that the Lord uh, showed Paul to do. So Paul goes willingly to Berea, where again, first thing of business is go to the synagogue, preach the gospel. Uh, these people in Berea are a blessing, kind of an example to us. It says that they were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, this just means that they were noble. Uh, other translations say that they were of noble character, noble-minded. Uh, but here's why they are described this way. Because they received the word from Paul, right? They received it with all readiness. They were eager to learn. They prepared themselves to receive a word of truth. And I think that's so cool. When people are open and ready to receive instruction or counsel uh, in certain things that are happening in their lives, you can tell right away when someone was receiving, right? You can tell. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, when someone's receiving the word and, and when someone isn't. So, it's so easy to, to tell a difference. Um, I pray that uh, we are ready every time we walk through those doors or, or even walk into a conversation that we're ready to receive. Receive a word of truth, a word of knowledge, a word of correction. Anytime the Lord wants to speak to us. Sometimes we need it. 
Sometimes we need it. But just to be able to receive it like the Bereans is an example to us. Uh, what else was good about what the Bereans did? They received the word, but they also what? Search the scriptures, right? Daily to make sure that they were true. They were being accountable for what they were being taught. Because just like today, when you're taught something, you're accountable for it, right? Once you hear it, it comes in. It's what you would do with it after, right? Um, but they were being accountable for it, uh, just like um, just like us. Uh, they were like, well, let me check it out. Let me see if it's true. You know, they weren't going to take Paul's word for it. You not take my word for it or anybody else that comes up here. If... Um, you know, they're like, if he said Jesus was the Messiah, if he's a coming king, let me look into it. Let me see it. Let me check according to God's word. And that's what they did. And like I said, that's what we should be doing today. Any teaching you get, especially today's, especially today's teaching, <laughs> you need to check on it. Double check it. What I'm saying, what anybody else is saying up here. Make sure it's right and it's from the Bible. If it isn't, you probably should be asking questions, right? Probably should be asking why uh, things are being taught that aren't in the Bible for the protection of the congregation, right? Because we're all supposed to protect each other. You know, I always tell the kids in the classrooms, you know, they're small and stuff, so um, I always tell them, you know, check what I'm teaching. Tell your parents what I'm teaching you. That could be wrong, right? Just being accountable and a good practice we should have as Christians uh, because you hear and see all these Bad, crazy people teaching all this crazy doctrine, right? And getting rich off the people. And if people would just check the scriptures, right? They would know they're off. It's sad but true. So let's be like the Bereans and search the scriptures to learn and know the truth. As a result of Paul's preaching and teaching, it says that not a few Greek Greek men and women believed. Uh, But who who comes when they hear of all this stuff? The jealous Jews, right? Uh, They hear of the news that Paul is telling the people of Berea the message of Jesus, and then they come and again stir up the people trying to compress the message of the gospel. So Paul, what does Paul do? Takes off again, right? Takes off, and uh, the brethren send him away to the sea. Ends up in Athens, but Silas and Timothy, his partners, stay there to encourage the people. Uh, But soon after Paul arrives, he calls for, um, for Silas and Timothy to join him. So let's read verses 16 through 21. And see what happens. 16 to 21. It says, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers, and in the marketplace daily to those, sorry, with those who happened to be there. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him, and some said, Why does this what does this babbler say, want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him into the Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak. We are bringing some strange things in our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were, who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear something new. So uh, now Athens, uh, Athens is considered a center of culture, education, you know, fine arts, an intellectual city by far. The city of Aristotle, of Plato, of Socrates, all those crazy smart dudes, 
The architecture alone is overwhelming. Today, the, the Parthenon, you guys know what the Parthenon is? The big building with all the pillars all, all the way around it? They say today it's considered one of the most architecturally sophisticated buildings in history. It also is a center of idol worship, an idol for every different type of thinking. Anything you wanted to worship in life, it was there. Power, sex, alcohol, whatever, there was an idol for it. William Barclay said that back then it was easier to meet a God, little g, it was easier to meet a God than it was a man. Just enforcing the message that the, they worship many gods there. In verse 16, it says that Paul's spirit was provoked, which means to irritate, to arouse, to anger. So all these idols got Paul's inner spirit set. Uh, he didn't let his anger uh, control his actions, though. He reasoned with the Jew and Gentile worshipers in the synagogue and at the marketplace. So daily he went there with the people to tell them about Jesus. And it wasn't going to be hard for Paul to find someone to talk to. Because that's what they liked, right? They liked to talk. That's what they did. Kind of reminds me of my uncles. You know, on Sundays they would always just gather on my nana's porch and just, just talk and argue and talk some more. And take off, come back. <laughs> they talked. And as it says in verse 18, these two groups of philosophers wanted to talk to Paul and hear what he had to say. First, the Epicureans. The founder of their beliefs was Epicurus. Uh, originally, the chief good is what he believed, okay? The chief good was pleasure. It says he declared pleasure came from a simple life. The more details, the more possessions meant more worrying. A simple life was good. The key was pleasure and pleasure was the chief good. Uh, but it had changed now uh, when Paul was in Athens today, or back then, where Paul was now. It was now to pursue after pleasure over everything else. Eating for the pleasure of eating. Is like eating? All right. Hopefully not this much. They, they Each taste you savored, and after you were filled up, you, you, you left. You forcefully made yourself, you know, Vomit, and he went back in to have some more. So just for the pleasure of eating, they would do that. Then the Stoics. The chief good was virtue, and this is what they believed. The chief good was virtue. You were not to have any feelings, not feel joy, not feel pain, not feel grief, not feel anything. To be Stoic. You guys heard that term, right? Stoic. Uh, not to be moved by anything untouched, unmoved in your feelings. So these were the philosophers Paul was going to, to deal with. Paul shares with them the message uh, of Jesus and the resurrection, and they call him a babbler. A babbler. They said that uh, his words were empty. The word babbler means uh, means the picking up seed, picking up seed, uh, which kind of implies that Paul was just picking up these ideas from the ground and giving them stuff that he found. You know, empty words for them. It wasn't worth anything to them. No substance in their opinion. They're like, he's talking about the foreign gods because we have never heard of this Jesus before. But they don't completely uh, shut him out. What do they want to do? Want to talk some more, right? Want to talk some more. They take him to this place called the Areopagus. I think that's how you say it. It's kind of Areopagus. And they requested further explanation of this doctrine which he speaks. They were very interested because this is what they like to do, right? They like to talk. They talked and talked, and it would, like it says in verse 21, verse 21, yeah, verse 20, the end of verse 21, 
It says they spent their time in either to tell or to hear something new. So they liked, they were like, hey, you know, this is something we haven't heard before. Let's talk about it. And they took Paul away. And let's hear what Paul shares with them. Verses 22 through 34. Yeah, 22 to 34. It says, Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considered the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him I proclaim to you, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with man's hands, as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth, and has determined their appointed, pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should speak, seek the Lord, in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. And also some of your own poets have said, we also are his offspring. Therefore, since we are his offspring, we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance to this by all, to all, by raising him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, We will hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed. Among them Dionysus, their Areopagite, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Awesome speech by Paul, right? Very cool. Paul is really slick about his message too. Sometimes we have to find a special way to share the gospel with people. Try to find that, that niche to where you find that pathway that leads to someone's heart and really gets their attention. But here Paul starts at their point of worship, their religion, their religion. He tells them that I perceive in all things that you are very religious. That is verse 22, right? That you are very religious. Is that an insult? Probably not, right? Probably not. Sometimes I'm told that. <laughs> I'm sure you guys are told that too, right? They're like, hey, you're religious. What do you think about this? You know, whatever they're talking about. I kind of think, what would you call me? Religious? Uh, I know that I know I know we know they don't mean that that in a wrong way, right? But it's wrong though. But it is wrong. It's not a religion. It's a relationship that we have. Because what's a religion? It's man-made, right? It's all man-made. Like here in Athens, man-made idols, man-made altars, man-made religion. While Paul was was wandering through this city, he noticed an altar that said to the unknown god. To the unknown god. He tells them, I want to speak to you about this unknown God, the God you know nothing about. And let me tell you what he's like. Could you just see their faces? Let me tell you what he's like. Uh, they were interested, willing to hear Paul because of their ways back then, being intellectuals and all. He shares that God is the creator. Read verse 24 again. 
says, God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. You can write this reference down. This is Isaiah 45, 18. It says, For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth and made it, who has established it, who did not create it in vain, who formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord. There is no other. Also Hebrews 3, 4. You can write that down. Hebrews 3, 4. Every house is built by someone. But he who built all things is God. He tells them God is the creator of all things. Uh, this unknown God made everything in the world, including us. He can't live in temple in a temple made by hand, man's hands. He doesn't need us to make altars or statues in order to worship him. But uh, sad, it still goes on today though, right? It still goes on today. As if God needed our help to worship him, either it is a, a building or a statue or whatever. Just like in Athens, people today worship gods that are made of gold and silver. And it just doesn't make sense. If a God all-powerful, able to do miracles, heal people, why does he need our help in worshiping him by making statues and stuff like that? Like it says in verse 25, verse 25 it says, Nor is he worshiped with men's hands, as though he needed anything since he gives life to all, life, breath, and all things. It's kind of the opposite, right? He's complete. He's everything. We are in need of him, right? He's not in need of us to, to do things for him. He gives life, breath. Everything we do is because he has allowed it. Verse 26, it says, And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. He has determined our times, our boundaries. He has created us in a way that we have this urgent side of us, a necessity to seek after God. People have this, you guys have always heard that, they have an emptiness inside of them. Rich, poor, famous, uh, regular people all have this place in their life and in their heart that only Jesus will fill. You guys agree? Only he will fill. In him we live and move and, and have our being. Paul tells them even some of their uh, their poets say this, that we are his offspring. That's in verse 28. We are totally bound by God from birth to death. He knows. He knew before knew me before I was born. He knows the day of my death and the circumstances of my death. We are totally surrounded by God. I am, you are totally dependent upon him. And we exist in him and by him. All these idols of power and love and pleasure that they had in Athens are, are all limited by how you worship them. This unknown God that, I, that Paul spoke of is everything, limitless. He is vastly superior to the gods that you worship in Athens. He is above all men. Pretty powerful, huh? Paul shares with them. Uh, let's read verses 29 and 31 again. Through 31, sorry. 29 through 31. It says, therefore, since we are uh, we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, and now commands all men everywhere to repent, because He has appointed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom He has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising Him from the dead. 
Therefore, Paul says, since you acknowledge we are his offspring, how in the world can we can you make him with your hands? Paul is just trying to, to, to show them how silly and ignorant their ways were. You can write this reference down, Romans 3, 25-26. It says, Whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Paul shares with them that these times of ignorance God has overlooked and but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Isn't that what repentance means? Most of we do, right? To turn, um, to change one's mind for the good, to turn from one's sins, to travel in a totally different direction. A.W. Tozer says repentance is like this, to move across from one sort of man to another is the essence of repentance. A liar becomes truthful and the thief honest. The command to repent is still true today, as it was then, uh, there is a day coming and a point of day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. Romans uh, 14, 9 through 10. You guys can write that down too. Romans 14, 9 through 10. For to this end Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So Paul's kind of warning them of that day of judgment where everyone will stand before the judgment seat of God and where Jesus will be the judge. John 5.22 says, For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. God has ordained His only Son, Jesus, to judge the world in righteousness and truth. And here's the assurance that this will happen. The resurrection, right? The resurrection of Jesus. He conquered death. The death of the cross was was uh, was conquered. I heard this this study by by J. Vernon McGee. You guys all know him. Pretty cool guy, right? He gets kind of intense sometimes, though, huh? But he got really ups, kind of upset at, at this. Uh, well, doing this, I guess he did a message on this chapter, and um, he said a lot of a lot of uh, pastors or people live leave the resurrection out of their their sermons. And and all they they put most of their focus off focus on or all their focus on on the cross, and leave out the resurrection. He said that the resurrection is so important to give as well. Without the resurrection, what guarantee do we have to live eternally forever in heaven? Is there a guarantee without the resurrection? All right. As Jesus conquered death, all who have received Jesus as their Lord and Savior will also conquer death. John 11, 25-26. This is Jesus speaking to Martha when he raised Lazarus from the dead. He says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? You guys believe this? So this, this is very cool. We have that guarantee through Jesus Christ and only through him. Let's read verses 32 through 34 again. It says, And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, We will hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed. Among them Dionysus, 
their Areopagite, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. So Paul gets three different reactions to the gospel message. Kind of like today, right? Some people mocked. Uh, some, people, some people said, oh, well, hear you some other time. And some people believed. Just like today, the message hasn't changed and the reaction to the message hasn't changed either, right? Wakeoha Paul shares or, or is uh, led by the Lord to go to different cities and, and doesn't lose heart, constantly shares the gospel of Jesus. A huge example for us. Like I told you guys at the beginning, I had to share something with the dads right being his Father's Day, right? Three things that the Lord showed me through this message, uh, things for the fathers. And, it, and even if you're not a dad, you know, um, you, know you don't have kids. Uh, being, being a man, you have an influence. Either it could be a nephew, niece, neighbor, anything. Get involved here at the church. I think there's about five guys who, who, who serve in the ministry, children's ministry, and about 100 men, no, but 20, 20 ladies, right? So there's opportunities to share, if you so choose, to influence someone's life as, as a man of God. Well, here's the first one, first point, how we use our authority. How we use our authority. God, God has given us this, this natural, I think it's natural, quality uh, to be the one in the home that kind of uh, the children kind of fear a little bit, right? What do moms usually say? Wait till your dad gets home, right? Wait till your dad gets home. It's kind of like that in most of the homes that I, that I know about, you know. Certainly was that, was that way in my house growing up. My dad would just say my name, and I'd just start crying, man. It's hard. Be like, man, what's going on? I just want to say hi. I'm all right. <laughs> in, in my home, I, um, I have this mentality to where, you know, kind of use my authority the wrong way. Usually, usually when dads talk, usually their kids listen, right? Um, usually they listen. But when it, I'm at, at home, here's my mistake. Don't tell anybody, no. You know, a common thing kids ask, you know, uh, at home, you know, why can't we watch this on TV? Or, or why can't we go there? Or why can't we do this? You know, those basic questions are, that they give. Why can't I watch this on TV? What's my lazy answer? All right, you guys all knew it, all right? <laughs> because I said so. Because I said so. And that's wrong, huh? That's wrong. Some of you might, might think that's okay because God has given us uh, that authority to run the home. You know, granted, right? But what happens when, they, when you're not around? What happens when I'm not around, my kids? What happens when they leave the home? You know, they're going to be like, Dad's not here, so I can watch anything I choose, right? I get to watch anything I want. Here's what I should be telling them, why God doesn't want them to watch it, right? Or, or do that or do this. And, and show them, too, why God doesn't want them to do that. Like Paul did in Thessalonica, right? What did he do? He reasoned with them and he showed them, right? Different things in the Bible about Jesus being the Messiah. He did that in Berea. did that in, in Athens. It said that he reasoned with them. He showed them from the scriptures why they were wrong and what they should be doing. Just like our kids at home. We should reason with them, and if they ask why, show them why they can't do certain things and why they should be doing this instead. So that when they are alone and we're not around, they won't take that opportunity to exercise their freedom from our eyes. 
but they will they will know that God is watching them. And God is the one that doesn't want them to do whatever it may be. Psalm 139.1 says, Psalm of David, it says, Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know by sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. And are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue. But behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. Put that verse in my den right there. Look. That's watching you. Know. But depending on the word of God, it's kind of like our main thing as, as uh, husbands. But the number first one was, uh, what was the first one? How to use our authority. How we use our authority. Number two, being committed. Uh, like Paul was. Um, Paul did not give up when people were coming after him. Paul Paul kept going. We have to be uh, doing what God called, he was doing, what God called him to do, which was give out the gospel. Uh, as a father, God has called me to, to be what? A father, right? A father. When? When I'm tired, when I'm not tired, when I feel like it. All the time, right? All the time. Loving them, teaching them, correcting them, uh, spanking them. It's not like I enjoy that. No, I don't enjoy spanking them. Uh, but being an example for them. Such a, a huge job, but a lot of reward if we are committed to it. Will we fail, guys? For sure, right? For sure. We'll sometimes forget to do our, our fatherly duties. I know sometimes it gets you know tiresome being a father coming home from work and having to deal with things. But it's a calling, right? If you have kids, you got it, you're a father. But like we need to be like the, like the Bereans too, like little Berean households. You know, if you guys kind of get it, you know, looking through the scriptures and asking ourselves, you know, this does this belong in our home? Should we be doing this as a family? Uh, are we using our time wisely? How can we bring glory to God as a family? You know, because what? Because we love Jesus, right? We want his family, to, our family, to be used for Him in any way you can. It's a challenge, a big challenge. But as men, don't you like challenges? Anybody like challenges, right? As men, it's hard. We mess up. I do it all the time. <laughs> but heaven forbid we we are ignoring our duties as a father. And letting your children grow up with you not around. I know we all have our circumstances as far as, you know, a family split apart. The divorce that's so uh, often taken today. You know, all that stuff. But you know what that tells me? You just got a harder job now, right? Being a father. You'd be working harder as a father if you're not a part of your family all the time. All right, point number three. Point them to Jesus. Uh, John six thirty five through forty. I guess in turn there, if you guys would. John six. John six thirty five through forty. It says and Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. 
And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. Days will come in your children's life where you will not be able to give them an answer. Uh, days will come in your, in your child's life when you're not there to help them. Don't, don't you want them to have the comfort that they know that whatever is happening in their life, that who's with them? Jesus, right? Jesus is watching over them all the time. You know, that's, that's my like, greatest desire. I'm sure it's most of yours too, uh, that my kids love Jesus and that they love their Father in Heaven who sent His only Son to die for them. Today, if, you're, if your father's not around or he messed up, you know, is no longer an influence in your life, you can say along with, with every one of us that, that you have a perfect father in heaven, a perfect father in heaven that will never leave you nor forsake you and be there all the time and will love you. And, and for any wives or moms out there that, that don't have fathers that are involved in their, in their lives, pray. Pray, right? And if you're uh, if you're not married, I think this is a good thing to look for in a husband. Is how they are will, how they will be a father. Now some people think they they leave that out of the mix when they were praying for a, a husband. You know, they just want some someone that will love them if they're a good husband. But I think a father is a great impact on the family. But yeah, cool guys. Let's pray and we'll ask the Lord to bless the rest of our day. Now, Lord, we come before you, Lord. Just thanking you so much for uh, meeting us here, Lord. Praying and asking, Lord, that you uh, do work in, in, uh, in my life, Lord, and all my brothers and sisters here, Lord, in their lives too, Lord. May you stir us up, Lord, uh, to be uh, impactful, Lord, in our, in our calling as as your sons and daughters, Lord. Praying for this church, Lord, as you continue to, to use it, Lord, the people in it, Lord, for your glory. Uh, praying, Lord, for our pastor, Lord, and uh, all the leadership here. We pray for an anointing on their lives, Lord, a fresh one, Lord, to, to uh, use them, Lord, in a mighty way, Lord. And just thanking you, Lord, for, for this day, Lord, to honor the fathers, Lord, of, of, in this world, Lord. I pray for my father, Lord. I pray you, you, you save him, Lord. And, and for any other, fa- other fathers that, that aren't here, Lord, or don't know you, Lord, that are families are represented here, Lord, praying and asking, Lord, that you uh, grab a hold of them, Lord, that you uh, uh, save them, Lord, uh, by any circumstances, Lord. We ask that you use it. And just thank you for being our Father in heaven, Lord. Perfect, Lord. Holy. Loving us so much, Lord. Uh, we just thank you for this time, Lord. Pray you bless the rest of the day, Lord. Be with all my, my brothers, Lord, that hopefully relax the rest of the day, Lord. And uh, have a good time with our families, Lord. We love you so much, Lord. And be with us as we go, Lord. And again, Lord, praying for the team in Cambodia, Lord. We thank you, Lord. I'm kind of jealous, Lord, but... I pray you use them over there, Lord. Praying for all the kids, Lord, that are over there, Lord, that they know that they have a Father in heaven too, Lord. That that message is shared with them, Lord, uh, every day over there, Lord. We just thank you again. And we love you, Lord. Just let me pray. Amen.
We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.